From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Oh, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is The Conspiracy Show. The music's a little hot. Let me start over again there in case you didn't hear me. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is The Conspiracy Show. We just love the music so much that we just, you know, we have it at 11. And uh, sometimes it drowns me out, and that's okay. I'd rather hear the song than my voice. <laughs> that's all right, Ian. You're a rock and roller. You dig the tunes. I get it. Thank you. This is The uh, the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Congratulations. You have found us. Uh, Ian Robertson is here twisting the knobs and turning the dials, and Albert Vinzel also here. Uh, the Flying Car is here, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, indeed. We've been awaiting the arrival of the Flying Car for, what, 50 years since uh, someone mentioned earlier in studio? The Jetsons. Yes, and that's like 50 years ago. Uh, it's always been sort of held up as a harbinger, an indicator uh, that the future has arrived. Flying Cars. Uh, Paul Moeller is standing by, and uh, he's an inventor who has designed a prototype of a flying car. It's called the Sky Car. Get this, it, sit, it fits in a single car garage, although nobody parks in their garage, right, <laughs> up here in Canada. Uh, nobody can park in their garage. However, this would fit theoretically in a single car garage, and it takes off and lands vertically. It's designed to fly at over 300 miles per hour, and it can be driven on the street, uh, to your nearby heliport, where it will uh, use something called an automated highway in the sky. It's called HITS. We'll find out about that. It's all under development uh, by the U.S. government. Under development by the U.S. government. Well, maybe my old uh, colleague George Janescu here was right. That means it'll be another 50 years <laughs> before it comes to fruition. We'll find out. Uh, get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca. Strangeplanet.ca. Go to the radio page. Click on The Conspiracy Show. That's your portal uh, to this radio program. And while there, don't forget to register. It's quick, easy, and free. Uh, and that will gain you access to membership-only areas like the uh, past show audio archives, which go back, I believe, as far as, what is it, Albert, the summer of 2012? We have shows going back at least that far. Uh, and while you're on the Conspiracy Show page, check out the slide carousel uh, up at the top. Those are the those revolving slides. And Albert and I have posted our usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits, fascinating news items. You may want to check out a story from a very august periodical, The Atlantic Monthly. And the article is called, I love this title, If You're Not Paranoid, You're Crazy. Uh, as government agencies and tech companies develop more and more intrusive means of watching and influencing people, how can we live free lives? So there you go. Now even the Atlantic Monthly is sort of cottoning on to the uh, the whole idea um, of, uh, you know, conspiracies and uh, surveillance and so forth. Uh, I tell you, this stuff is getting so mainstream pretty soon, uh, you know, it'll be on The View. Uh, there's also an article from the Huffington Post about tonight's guest, uh, Paul Moeller, and his aforementioned flying car, and that'll serve as a nice primer uh, for tonight's conversation. The article from Huffington's Bill Robinson is titled, Tech Future, Hold On, Paul Moeller's Sky Car is Coming. So, why don't we uh, dive right in, uh, having said that. Paul Moeller founded the Moeller International 
and has served as the company's president since its formation. He holds a master's in engineering and Ph.D. from McGill University. And he was a professor of mechanical and aeronautical engineering at the University of California, Davis, from 1963 to 75, where he developed the aeronautical engineering program. In 1972, he founded Supertrap Industries and was CEO as Supertrap became the most recognized international name in high-performance engine silencing systems. Supertrap Industries was sold in 1988. In 1983, Dr. Moeller founded the Moeller International to develop powered lift aircraft. Under his direction, the company completed contracts with NASA, the NOSC, DARPA, NRL, Harry Diamond Labs, Hughes Aircraft Company, California Department of Transportation, and the U.S. Army, Navy, and Air Force. Uh, these contracts included the development and deployment of numerous unmanned aerial vehicles and Wankel-based engines. Dr. Mulder has received 43 patents, including the first U.S. patent on a fundamentally new form of power lift aircraft. Paul, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good, thank you. Pleasure to be with you. My pleasure. Now, let, let me make sure I pronounce Did I pronounce your last name? Is it Moeller or Moller? Moller. Moller. All right. Now, we have, as I mentioned earlier, we have been anticipating the arrival of the flying car uh, for at least 50 years. Uh, what's taking so long? Well, I think the, the fundamental problem is that the a vertical takeoff aircraft is in many ways like the Hummingbird. It requires a very powerful power plant. In the Hummingbird's case, he has a very... The, the bird has a very high metabolism that gives him the kind of power he needs. But it is a uh, unusually power requirement during the vertical takeoff mode that, of course, can reduce once you're going forward and you fly like an airplane. But what's missing was a power plant that would make that possible. And so much of our time over the last decades, really, has been developing that power plant, that engine that, that would be able to lift uh, to over 2,000 pounds of weight uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, in the form of four passengers and a roughly 1,500-pound aircraft into the air vertically. And, and so what have you been able to accomplish? Uh, what innovation have you developed that others have not been able to do? Well, we started off with the, with the Wankel engine, the rotary Wankel engine that was invented in Germany and at one time was thought to have a great future but I think it was misapplied as far as where it was put. It's, it had a future in aviation more than it had in the automobile industry. We acquired some of the first engines back in the 60s and began a research and development program. And now, you know, a couple hundred million dollars later in today's dollars, we have an engine small enough you could hold the palm of your hand that would drive your car down the highway at 65 miles an hour. Now... Uh, we hear about Amazon, um, you know, thinking about or on the cusp of delivering our our parcels and packages uh, using drones. And there are also now, granted, those are unmanned uh, aircraft. But I'm just thinking, you know, the, the complication of having uh, all of this traffic in the air, uh, you know, drones flying everywhere, and now add to that mix flying cars. I mean. 
it would be chaos, I'm thinking. Now, <laughs> above and beyond the idea of developing, you know, this Wankel engine that has the, the power for vertical liftoff and, and, and landings and so forth. What about the, the, the other consideration, logistically? How, how could we manage that kind of traffic up in the air? Well, I think the, the best thing that's ever happened is these driverless cars. Because if you can put a, uh, or you can create a driverless car and operate in the streets of San Francisco, in an environment that is at least an order of magnitude more complicated than that in the air, you obviously are able to understand everything that's going on around you in a way that's incredible compared to what you need to make sure that somebody in the air, that you're not going to run into them. So really, this is this driverless cars is the forefront of where we're going with this technology. It's not hard to, to extend that thinking to imagine how much easier it is to do that in the air than it is on the ground. And, and uh, tell me about the um, these uh, these highways. Uh, you're call- in the air. You're calling it hits. What does that mean exactly? Well, it's really uh, there's no real physical highway. Of course, it's a, a software, hardware, uh, hardware to the extent of the electronics that might be involved in it, or mostly software in terms of how that uh, information is processed. But what it really does is it locates every aircraft in the air very precisely. The interesting thing is we do that with commercial airliners today. Not many people know that more often than not, the airplane they're flying in, commercial airline, it is landed automatically. And in fact, it's considered far safer to land them automatically rather than manually any longer. So it, we are moving in that direction once we have everybody located, which is not that difficult with GPS and some of the other support items, we just have to determine the paths in which they're allowed to go and to make sure they fall on that path. And one of the ways you make sure is you don't have people having control of the vehicle when they're in the air. They they drive to their vertiport port from their garage, perhaps, code in their destination, and then sit back and read or play computer games. Ah, well, that's interesting. So you wouldn't need a pilot's license then? No. No, you don't need a pilot's license for this at all, this vision. In fact, you don't even need a pilot's license for what we're doing right now, but you do need what's called a pilot certificate because you still have to know the rules of the air. But with our aircraft, they're so easy to fly because of computers. Everybody, every kid can fly a drone. Um, so easy to fly that it, w- it won't be a problem for anybody to get in this and be able to fly. You just have to be very controlled when you're in it because you're going fast and people around you are going fast and clearly they have to be very well precisely controlled so when we when you say that um, this highway in the sky hits is under development by the US government what does that mean I mean how how soon are we from this becoming reality well we have the highway right now as I said we just need to expand the number of roads if you want to call that there are highways up there right now there's a specific set of highways that the commercial airlines use where they're precisely on those airline routes and the pilot doesn't have to fly the aircraft. He just sits back and and puts it on autopilot and the aircraft is taken to wherever he wants to go. That has to be expanded, of course, because we're talking about orders of magnitude, more people. But even if you put orders of magnitude, more people in the air, they'd still be miles apart except near cities where, where they may be coming into land. We don't, we don't appreciate that the space above us is basically unused in the relative sense. And, of course, the highways are overused. 
So there's just going to be a major change. It's going to make a lot of difference in people's lives. Oh, for sure. Uh, but but again, could you give us, is it possible to give us a timeline? Are we talking 10 years, 20 years, 5 years? Mm, that's always a tough one because, as you said earlier, the issue, there is a legislative issue here, and uh, things have to get very bad before the government tends to move quickly. We have reason to believe that there will be a reasonable number of these in the air within five years, but nothing that would probably affect most people's lives. Five years, I, wow. That's I would, uh... I would say ten years, and driven by the fact that the highways are becoming much more difficult. On the other hand, I would say this drone industry has given us a great shove in the right direction because all of a sudden you realize that you can fly these little vehicles, and anybody can fly them and go anywhere with them. Now, of course, that's going to be controlled. All right, Paul, listen, I've got to jump in here. We'll uh, take a quick time out, come back, and continue to discuss the sky car. That's right, folks, flying cars. They're coming. Really, I mean it, this time, for sure. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Mahler International has developed the first and only feasible, personally affordable, personal vertical takeoff and landing vehicle the world has ever seen. Uh, and Paul Mahler, Mahler is uh, with us. We're talking about uh, the Sky Car. I'm looking at the, uh, the photograph uh, here, Paul, on Mahler.com, M-O-L-L-E-R, Mahler.com, the Sky Car. It's uh, four engines, correct? Or lifting yourselves, two engines in each one, counter-rotating. That way, if an engine fails, you still can fly the aircraft. All right. Well, and you say you can fly it, but really, as you mentioned earlier, and this to me uh, left me sort of gobsmacked, no pilot license necessary because these are, uh, like the Google cars uh, we're anticipating, they're, they're driverless. You don't need to, once you drive it to the heliport, uh, I guess you push a button, a vertical takeoff, you punch in the GPS coordinates, and it does the rest, correct? Yes, that's the future. I mean, that's uh, we're not going directly there, of course. We're looking at vehicles that could be used for rescue and, and border patrol and a lot of other very useful immediate applications. Uh, as, as the market builds up and as we build up a record of safety, but yes, exactly. Within, within five years, you'll see the reality of that approach and it's driven by many more things than what we're doing. Certainly, drones give us a good example of what's possible. And and um, these would be uh, the size of the sky car. You could drive this. It would take up a single lane. You could drive it at highway speed. Would they be no? Dis- I would, no? Not highway speed. No? Street speeds. This is a, this is what I would call a streetable aircraft. Okay. There's no reason to go down a highway if you can fly. All right, so it would only be designed to take you to and from your garage, your single-car garage, to the nearest heliport. Right, at some point, perhaps even uh, locally within a city, but I think that's going to depend on improved battery design. Right now, that's the proper way to describe it. So for touring, it would be electrical, battery? On the street, you're on battery, and certainly as batteries get better, you could use this perhaps around town. Uh, but you really aren't going to use it around town in the present form that it's designed in. It's going to be strictly to get you into the air and get you moving very quickly 
from point A to point B. And the engine, uh, the rotor power engine, 204 horsepower, 65 pounds? Well, it varies depending on the model, but uh, the important thing is that we generate over three horsepower per pound, which is unheard of in an internal combustion engine. It's, that's more like what you might get out of a turbine engine. So that was critical, and you need to do it at low cost. Turbines achieve high power to weight, but they cost so much that no one could ever afford the vehicle. And, and what's the fuel here? We prefer ethanol. We have used methanol. These are alcohols, of course. Uh, and, of course, we've done a lot. We've used diesel, but not in the aircraft. We use diesel in our engine, and we've done some flying with gasoline. But given the choice, if it's available, we would use ethanol. It's our first choice. Now, uh, what about, I mean, you, you mentioned this, you know, ultimately this could be driverless uh, or pilot. You know, you don't need a pilot's license. And I'm thinking uh, back a couple of months ago, there was a story of someone who hacked into um, a jet, uh, the autopilot feature on a jet. Uh, and I'm not sure how far this individual got, whether they could, you know, it's been it's been rumored that, you know, someone could hack in and, and land a plane. Uh, for example, uh, th- there was a rumor that the Chinese um, intelligence agency hacked into a U.S. You know, jet and landed it, force landed it in in um, in China and so forth. I don't know if you know these are apocryphal stories, but the the, the overall what I'm thinking about here is a, a potential security risk. Let's say we've got uh, you know several thousand of these sky cars. Um, could they not be commandeered through a computer, uh, and all of a sudden you've got a potential weapon? Well, it's hard for me to say that that's impossible, but I'm sure as time goes along, we're, we're learning every day how to protect ourselves. This is a very important technology, how to protect ourselves from electronic interference. Um, so I won't say how you could protect yourself. I'm convinced based upon what I've seen that we will find means uh, a kind of redundant backup security systems that if, if one system's taken over, on board the aircraft, another system comes into play. That would be my solution based upon the way we've designed the aircraft in the first place. All right. How long have you been at this, uh, uh, Paul? How long have you been developing this? <laughs> Longer than I care to admit, but I, I, I started designing my first uh, helicopter when I was 15, and that's back in 1950, 51. All right. And so what was the impetus for this, uh, for the for developing the Skycar? Is it traffic congestion? Well, you're what giving me it? too much credit there. It really started out with a personal desire as a, as a six-year-old to imitate the hummingbird. I, I grew up in a rural part of Canada, in British Columbia, and, and getting to school was a, a major task in the middle of winter. And so the idea of getting there the way the hummingbird is able to fly was, was very attractive. And it started me on a path that that I've never left. Is there a prototype now? I mean, do you have, uh, are you using uh, a Skycar? Yes. Oh, well, no, I don't use it because it's a, it's a, it's a you know, experimental vehicles at this time, and there's a lot of government control over what I do and what I, when I do it. But we, of course, have flown many different vehicles, and we've flown some of them many, many times. But now as we get closer to reality, the government becomes even more, a part of what we're doing because we have to, if we want their approval, the FAA's approval, then we have to play their game, and that means being very cautious how we use the vehicle. But it's all part of the bureaucratic process as it moves forward. Have they been helpful, cooperative, or are they throwing every potential obstacle at you that they can? 
Well, they're like most organizations. There are there are people and groups within the organization that have been incredibly helpful, and there's other ones that really haven't been against us, but they don't necessarily get enthusiastic about new ideas. So we are working, of course, with everybody that we have to work with, but we we certainly have people that are very supportive of something different from what we're dealing with today. Uh, but again, there uh, there is a uh, an experimental uh, or a prototype that that is lying in a hangar somewhere, sitting in a hangar somewhere. Yes, in fact, I have some of the original prototypes sitting, you know, a few hundred feet away from me in, in, in sort of storage, some of the ones we flew very early on. But right now we have two models that uh, that we one that we're getting ready to fly this fall that will be a production version rather than a prototype. It'll be something that you could buy sometime next year. It's the what we call the, the Jetson-like vehicle called the New Era. If you remember the Jetsons, it looks very much like that. The New Era 200. Exactly. I'm looking at that now. That that looks nothing like the Sky Car. I mean, this looks like, I mean, this looks like a flying saucer. <laughs> it's wingless. It does, but it's, it's a not, wingless craft. It's not. It's not very fast. It's a practical recreational utility vehicle, uh, but it's fun. You can take off vertically. Uh, you can fly around in, in almost your own magic carpet. So, from the point of view of the attractiveness to a user, the only difference is you won't be able to go faster than. Certainly not above 100 miles an hour, whereas the sky car is designed for much higher speed. But but it's wingless, correct? It's it's winged in the sense you know when people throw a frisbee disc, right? It still flies. So yes, it's it's wingless in that sense, but it still creates lift, much like a frisbee. Now, the New Era 200. Uh, what's the price point on that? Well, we don't know for sure because we are viewing this as initially an international auction because we've had so much requests from around the world. So clearly it's going to go out there at any, almost any price initially. But we know that the vehicle is dependent pretty much on the cost of the engine. And so there will be a time, and I can't tell you if that's five years from now or ten years from now, where you'll be able to buy the new era version for under 50000 and and the Skycar for under seventy five. But that's not going to happen tomorrow. Granted, uh, under fifty thousand, uh, you can own your. I'm going to call. I don't care what anyone says, Paul. I'm going to call it a flying saucer, uh, the New Era 200. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a flying saucer, uh, complete with the dome on top, uh, and uh, it, mind you, it's not flat on the bottom. Now, I don't see any landing gear. I don't see wheels on the New Era 200. How does yeah, that? No, it has wheels. It has a really substantial energy absorbing undercarriage because you always worry about coming out a little harder than you like, and so you've got a lot of ways to keep the people on board safe. Yes, it does have steerable wheel in the nose and two other wheels, but we always maintain only three wheels because, believe it or not, it's classified as a motorcycle in most states in America if it has only three wheels. It's and that classified. makes life a lot easier in terms of the approval process when you're driving on the street. Ah. The, the rules of a motorcycle are much easier to deal with than no. the rules of an automobile. No kidding. Interesting. All right. So the New Era 200 will be a three-wheeled uh, craft and um, be classified as a motorcycle. And the price point, again, 50000 eventually, we hope. Eventually, right. All right. Uh, you know, this, uh, to me, is, is amazing. I'm, I'm at the risk of uh, sounding like an old you know, dinosaur, an anti-green, never been a huge fan of public transit. 
Uh, we tend to pour a lot of money into public transit, not a lot of money into roads, despite the fact that about 80% of us continue to drive. <laughs> um, um, do you think that the the Skycar, the New Era 200, um, have has the potential to alleviate traffic to the point where we would no longer be necessarily so dependent or so, you know, hell-bound on, on pouring all of this money into public transit? Well, I think public transit is still going to grow. Some of the ideas like Elon Musk's Hyperloop and things like that are interesting possibilities. I think mass transportation uh, in the fo- some of these modern conceptions is, is going to come at some point. At the same time, we're going to end up with uh, cars being used typically for shorter distances. The electric car is going to be around for a long time, and if you're going to use it for a shorter distance, it'll really start to dominate. But this fits this fits in between those two. This is the ultimate in personal mobility. You can take off wherever you generally want and go to the top of the mountain and have lunch. It's a, it's a freedom that people can only imagine today, but it's still a... a, a uh, 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 an opportunity to to imitate that hummingbird, which is is a, is a driving force for uh, would be a driving force for a lot of people. And would you be manufacturing these in Canada? Well, I I think it'll, if it's successful, we will have partners uh, working in a lot of different areas. And Canada would certainly be one of those places. In fact, we think our aircraft is particularly suited for countries like Australia and Canada initially where they have these you know, large distances between small populations where a vehicle like this would, would really change the uh, demographics they're getting around. What's the, what, would the, what would be the, uh, the ceiling on the New Era 200 or the Skycar in terms of altitude? Well, they're, they're totally different. Uh, the New Era is probably a vehicle that you wouldn't take usually above 500 feet because it's going fairly slow, relatively speaking. There would be no reason to go very high. Now, the Skycar, by by as an alternative, benefits from the higher you go, the faster you go uh, in terms of the same miles per gallon. So if you can go to 25,000 feet, which we consider the upper limit, somewhere between 18 and 25,000, depending on the local rules, then you can fly at 300 plus miles an hour, whereas at sea level, you wouldn't go over 200 miles an hour or you'd burn a lot more fuel. That's why jet airplanes fly very high. And what's the distance you could travel on the Skycar? I'm sorry, you didn't hear that? The distance. How far? Oh, uh, Depends on the fuel you're using. Uh, gasoline, 750 miles on the four-passenger Skycar, 400. Uh, on alcohol, uh, about 600 miles. And on the two-passenger, 200. It's uh, it's about 25, or 25 to 35% less. And what about the the infrastructure? Uh, I'm talking about the the heliports here. I mean, we'll, we'll take a break. The music is uh, is uh, percolating up here, which is my cue to get out. So we'll uh, come back and discuss uh, that plus uh, investment opportunities and uh, you know what is needed to take this to the next level. Paul Mahler is with us, the CEO of Mahler International. He's developed the first and only feasible, personally affordable, personal ve- uh, personal vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. The world has ever seen the Skycar, the Nurera 200. Flying cars, folks, they have arrived. The future 
has arrived. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Paul Mahler stays with us. The Mahler Skycar is the ultimate hybrid vehicle, an aircraft that takes off and lands like a helicopter. It's able to fly at high speed, yet also able to travel at low speed on the ground and narrow enough to fit on urban streets. It's a flying car, and uh, it has been built, it exists, and well, the next level, I guess, is federal approval from various uh, governments and... I guess, an investor to start mass-producing this thing. Paul, where are you in terms of investors and and being able to tool up to start mass-producing? Well, I don't think there's much doubt that we're going to be doing this as a joint venture. Uh, We're at the point right now demonstrating the the technology to establish the credibility that it needs to, to find the right partner to move forward with us. And it, this is a while this is not that expensive to undertake because it's far less complicated than a typical light airplane. The only really moving parts in this vehicle are the engines, so it's a it's a much simpler vehicle. At the same time, the engines themselves are are uh, you know it's a fairly major task producing mass producing engines. So we know that we're going to be working with other people to make this happen. Uh, do you? Imagine perhaps your partners being uh, automobile uh, companies like Ford, or uh, you know, would it be someone like an Elon Musk? I, I, or? I rather doubt that. The the automotive companies historically have not been very innovative. I can remember a time when General Motors said, "We will never build a hybrid car," and uh, it comes back to haunt them years later when they they had to do a lot of catch up to catch up with Toyota, which are way out in front, and they're still catching up. So I don't think the auto industry is likely to do it as I know it, um, but certain segments of the aviation industry might. But at the same time, I think it's probably like everything in the past of this nature. It usually ends up being its own industry, uh, of course, driven by some major organization like General Electric. I mean, I could imagine General Electric, for example, uh, forming a division at some point to take on something like this. Is there a military application? Have you caught the... I know you, you did some work with the U.S. Defense Department, uh, if, I re, if I'm remembering your bio correctly. Uh, is there a military application for, for this? Oh, yes. It's, 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 it's really almost the perfect aerial jeep. One of the problems we had in Iraq and Afghanistan is, is getting down on the ground and sending off these uh, IUD, IEDs. Uh, this is... Uh, this is something that they've been looking for for a long time. Is a, is a jeep that you know doesn't have to be on the ground, uh, except in very understood areas where they have a known security. So we see that as one possibility. Another very immediate possibility would be border patrol, um, rather than to build walls. I think we can and, and fences that no one's going to really be able to uh, keep anybody out with. Uh, just having some security system that that goes out there and rescues people uh, that try to cross the border and get caught out in the middle of the desert in the southern United States and die in droves, this would be a, a good vehicle for that. All right, so instead of a wall, the sky car. Maybe if you rename it the Trump, he, uh, he'll write your ticket for you. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, how about, uh, I mean, the heliports that you would drive to to take off? And again, this is a vertical. Well, tell me about these heliports. Where would they be located? How many would you need? 
Well, they're going to expand as the city and the use of such a vehicle increases. Initially, they're a city like Davis, which is one I live in, is you know, could say is perhaps a hundred thousand with the student population. You might have in a city like this, say three three uh, places, and they're envisioning doing these at intersections uh, where you have this unused space in the middle of typical roundabouts and other things. So there's some planning uh, already in place where such vehicles would be utilizing existing space in a very convenient way. And also, since there's bound to be some noise with them initially, although we think we have a way of solving the noise problem entirely, uh, having them in near traffic uh, as the takeoff point would, would benefit from, from that as well. All right, Paul, stay put. We'll take one final time out, come back. Some questions remain. The flying car, I love it. It's here, almost. Hold on to your hats. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, Paul Mahler stays with us till the top of the hour. We are talking about flying cars, the Sky Car and the Nuera 200. Now, the um, these are single passenger? Well, interesting enough, we vary all the way from a single passenger to a nine passenger. We've never built a nine passenger. We've wind tunnel tested it. But I think really... I should give you a little vision of what I think is going to happen here based upon our own studies and those of the government. You probably, for the most part, aren't going to own the Sky Car, or you may own the New Era, but you're probably not going to own the Sky Car. What you're going to do is you're going to call up and ask for a vehicle anywhere from one to six passengers. If you're on a business trip, of course, it'd be a one passenger. If you're going with your family, it'd be six. The vehicle will land at your, if it can, it'll land at the doorstep. If not, if it'll land at a vertiport uh, nearby, it may come and pick you up uh, on the street and take you back to the vertiport for takeoff, and it would deliver you, and then it would go on its way and continue to work. That way you can have a, a, a great utilization of the vehicle, and that will reduce the cost to the point where studies have shown that this will certainly not cost that much more than a uh, herb you know, a, a regular kind of rental vehicle. Sounds like an Uber sky car. Yes, it's 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 it's. I think it makes a lot of sense because you're still going to have your normal car for the most part. You might, in fact, still have two cars, but this would be the vehicle that you would use for so much of the things that you'd love to have that mobility, avoid the airport that we have today, and all the misery associated with that, and the ultimate flexibility to go where you want when you want. And, and, and uh, so it fills in a, a role that's totally missing in today's uh, transportation world. So, uh, th- I mean, this could pose a serious threat to, uh, you know, the airlines that are running, you know, Toronto to Montreal, for example, or, you know, these small uh, commuter-type uh, right. airlines. We can handle 75% of the traffic today with the range that we have right now. In other words, 75% of the flights today are 750 miles or less. So, yes, um, but again, they have a problem because that traffic is growing so rapidly that they got problems at airports and a lot of other things. So, in a sense, we would save their bacon, so to speak, by giving an alternative that won't impact the, the traveler nearly as dramatically as it's going to if you don't have an alternative like this. Would um, each of these, the Sky Car, the New Era 200, would they be equipped with... Um, uh, parachutes. We have parachutes 
uh, schedule and, and everything that we build. Uh, we really, truly, with our redundancy, we have multiple engines. Engines can fail. The vehicle continues to fly. Computers can fail and continue to fly. Multiple gas tanks. This is really built with every element of safety you can imagine. But just perhaps for the personal psychological comfort of the early buyers, we have parachutes in place. Um, they aren't. They take a little bit away from the payload, so hopefully one would ultimately not need them, but we're starting out with parachutes absolutely just to make people comfortable early on. And and what about, um, again, the I'm looking at the New Era 200, the Sky Car, let's say the single-seater or whatever. The, what's the payload? I mean, could you take luggage aboard this? Yeah, a limited amount. Uh, vertical takeoff is, a, is a, a high demand, power demand, so you always have some limitations. Um, but, uh, you know, if you have uh, so much baggage... Then you then you rent a four a four passenger and you use three passengers to, in it and the rest for baggage. So there's options here because you can you can rent whatever you need uh, in my vision uh, as far as payload capability. All right, and hopefully more leg room than uh, traditional airlines. <laughs> yeah, we have lots of leg room in the present vehicles. I'm sold. I, <laughs> I am totally sold uh, on this. Um, so. I mean, what's next? I mean, are you are you now lining up uh, uh, meetings with investors? And what what is it? What's the next step yes, for you? Yes, we're we're talking to people from around the world. Uh, we have uh, it's interesting, you know. We've we've been a public company for a long time, and we have investors from all over the world. Any of your listeners, for example, can become stockholders by just going to our website and and finding out the proper party to talk to 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 buy the stock, but. We don't promote that particularly. Uh, that doesn't necessarily put money in our pocket. What we we are working with a number of companies that could become joint venture partners for us. That's what we really need, and they're both a number of uh, foreign and a number of domestic. We seem to get more interested in in our company from foreign companies, countries like China, uh, than we do from the United States. So actually, we've had a lot of interest from Canada as well. Tell me about the. Uh, the other vehicles I'm seeing on uh, the website Mahler.com, the Firefly and the Aerobot. Well, the Aerobot is a term for our unmanned vehicles, and as, it's, as you noted earlier, we've delivered um, into the black areas, as we call it, a government programs that we really can't talk about. We've delivered a number of vehicles. I think we were the, certainly the world's leader for a long period of time in terms of specialized vehicle for specialized applications, many of which I don't really know. Uh, what they're exactly used for. Um, and then we have the uh, Firefly, which is just a variation, a relatively minor variation of the New Era 200, but it's in a utilitary form, utilitarian form, where you can offload chemicals, uh, load baggage, uh, rescue people from the side of a, a building that's on fire, um, generally all-around multi-purpose vehicle. And, and we are going to probably be concentrated on that more than the new era initially because uh, there's immediate applications and uh, immediate interest in having something like that available. And again, the, the Firefly it looks like a flying disc, except it doesn't have the dome over top like Correct. the new era. You get in and out of it very much easier, and uh, it's a really a, a very practical version of the uh, new era 200. So, for example, if you had a fire on a skyscraper and you couldn't obviously put a ladder truck and reach people on the 50th floor... You could use the Firefly in a, in a rescue operation. 
Yes, you notice there's a walkway uh, indirectly from the front, and we'd have handrails on the side of that, and you'd come up there, and you'd have a ramp that was a air cushion ramp, so to speak, that would go up against the building, and someone would be able to walk directly on this. We could we can bring down as many as three people, but more often than not, we'd bring down probably no more than two. Um, but it would be exciting uh, to provide this alternative that really isn't available today. And how far are you away from the the Firefly Firefly being you know fully uh, operational, developed, and manufactured? Well, we've got the airframe for the Firefly already built, and so uh, we're just one thing at a time. We're we're going to demonstrate the production new era, perhaps by the end of this year. Certainly, shortly shortly after the end of the year, the new era. Uh, I sorry, the new era before the end of this year, the Firefly, very early next year, and then the latter part of next year we'll have the uh, the uh, Skycar 200 the Skycar 400 is is a bit further away because of regulations now the, the new era uh, 200 now forgive me if I've already asked you this but has ha, have that has that been test flown it's that's been flown for now many years it's we've had over 200 test flights with it never had a problem never had an accident uh, no one ever has been in danger with it because again with multiple computers and multiple engines, there is really all kinds of options if something goes wrong. Uh, but to fly that presently, you would need a pilot's license, correct? You, you would do. You'd need what's called a pilot certificate if the FAA cooperates. And their plan, the plans are to get an approval under our category that the FAA already has called light sports aviation. And if we get approved under that category, and we have every reason to believe it's possible at some point then uh, you would not need a pilot license. You'd have a pilot certificate. Of course, when we get it completely automated, as you and I talked about earlier, uh, then you wouldn't even have to have a pilot certificate because you'd, you'd be a passenger, so to speak. Because because so much of flying, obviously, the, the skill in flying is about the landing and the, and, and the takeoff. Exactly. That's where everything is. That's where all the skill is. This may sound on the surface like a silly question, but uh, in, in all... You know, in earnestness. I mean, as when you flew the New Era 200, I mean, were there any um, UFO reports uh, as a result? <laughs> it's interesting you ask that. It, actually, I don't know that I got any with that vehicle because they were. It was well understood, and people knew that we were doing this. But when I was flying earlier vehicles at a time when nobody uh, generally knew about it, except for a few people because of some press clippings. We did get calls up from people blaming us for some of the sightings, but we haven't had any of that for a while. Have you flown in the new era 200? I've always been the test pilot so far. I ah. mean, after all these years of building, I would, I mean, I don't think my stockholders are particularly happy about the idea, um, but after all, I've I've uh, put my life into this. I, 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 it wouldn't be fair that I don't have a chance to fly it. What's it like flying in that thing? What's it feel like? It's absolutely unbelievable because when you fly this vehicle, you you compare it, of course, initially to a helicopter in terms of your sensation. But in a helicopter, you, there's a lot of vibration, which this is completely free from vibration. And in a helicopter, you feel like you're being lifted up from above like a crane, which is okay. I mean, it's pretty exciting. But in this case here, the lift comes from below you, much more like the magic carpet. And so, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that is truly the sensation you have. It's an experience that's it's worth its weight in gold. 
you uh, you may go down as if I mean if all this comes to fruition, you may go down as one of the, the you know the great aeronautical pioneers. Well, that's never been my goal, actually. I mean, I've been driven only by my own personal desires. And uh, right now, for example, I'm very happy to let somebody come in and work with me and and uh, and bring this product to market. And I'm happy to go back and be the chief technical officer and let somebody else be the CEO because uh, I, I, I like what I do best is design and what I prefer to do if I give it a choice. Well, Paul, a real pleasure. I don't know if you re- we we spoke probably ten, twelve years ago, and at that time, um, you know, things weren't as far along as they are now. But it really does seem like you are on the cusp, and I congratulate you uh, for your perseverance and your fortitude and your uh, innovativeness and uh, uh, ingenuity. So, so thank you very much for spending some time with well, us. Well, thank you too. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Again, the website is Mahler.com, M-O-L-L-E-R.com. You might mention one final thing. They Please do. They just put Skycar and they'll get 400,000 articles if they, want to, if they want to bother to read it. Is that all? 400,000? A, <laughs> a little light reading. All right, Skycar, just Google it. Bye-bye. Thank you, Paul. All righty. The future has arrived. Well... Get on up to strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to The Conspiracy Show. There's a radio page, of course. You found us, The Conspiracy Show. There's also a television page. And uh, just a reminder, Season 4, coming down the pipe soon across Canada on Vision TV. Don't have a date yet, but we will. And as soon as we do, we'll get it out to you. Uh, and, of course, a live events page. And... Uh, It's all right there under one roof, strangeplanet.ca. In the meantime, say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth.